songs it exists on the fringes of some of our minds like sean you're what two three years younger than me uh let's see your birthday was may 13th you were 54 well thanks for telling everybody but yes i am okay i will be 51 next month okay so that's what i mean so when like you when that song was a massive hit you weren't really born yet so i remember you were but you were like a toddler and so but i was into it well, you may have gotten into it later, but here's my point is someone asked on Twitter the other day, what are some songs that exist on the very furthest fringes of your memory? Like way back, yep. whether you were sitting in the back of your parents' shitty Pinto station wagon, mm -hmm. whether you were at their underground meth lab, no matter where you were, what are the songs that sit? I don't know. I'm just, I'm reaching in. Uh, <laughs> what, what are the songs that sit at the fringe of memory? And Seals and Crofts was one of those bands for me. Yep. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I suppose we should probably say hello. Uh, my name is Brian. Uh, it is my show. It's called The Brian Oak Show. Sean is right there, technically, financially, and by a percentage basis. It's also technically his show, too. Um, what episode are we on, Sean? 252. 252 episodes of this ridiculous nonsense but also it's enjoyable like i know we all have busy lives right and you're like oh fuck a podcast today but then all of a sudden the moment arrives and you're like yep. oh it's listening to music it's talking to people whose company i enjoy and it's just shooting the shit for an hour and if nobody listens we lose our sponsors it goes away but maybe just maybe you can exist for two and a half years of doing something that no one expected you to do it's the brian oak show uh and we're not in the smart start mn studios today because of the madness of early summer so we are all in remote locations doing a zoom also a big part of that is that our guest today uh resides in mississippi in what appears to be at least looking through the zoom connection a beautiful background we're going to check in with a popular and long-serving musician but also a guy who's become a good friend over the years charlie mars coming up in just a bit but before we get there the reason we started out with seals and crop actually you know before we even get to that we should probably mention smart start mn don't you think Sean? we should we should right, indeed. Well, smart start mn has been on board literally since we, we before we recorded the first episode what does smart start mn do like for instance charlie He's not a Minnesota guy. He's probably never heard of him before. Smart Start MN was Minnesota's original ignition interlock company. That means that back in the day, they used their legal expertise to work with the state legislature and the powers that be to find a way to get people back in their cars after they screwed up from drinking and driving. Drinking and driving is idiotic. It's stupid. It's easily avoidable. That being said, I've done it and I got popped and many, many other supposedly reasonable people have done it. It just it happens, right? And you, we we make bad choices. We we skirt the edge. And I know that Charlie Mars has taken a few desperate chances in his life, just like we all have. Luckily, that seems to be well in the rearview mirror for him. But for the rest of us, if you should decide, or not to decide, but if that should happen to you, you want to talk to people who know what they're doing. You want to talk to people with expertise, decades of expertise in this field. You need to get back in your car, and nobody does that better than Smart Start MN. 
Yeah, just go to smartstartmn.com slash the Brian Oak Show. That'll get you 20% off the installation of the ignition interlock system. Brian, I got to mention this. Hit me. Ed Cohen gave me four tickets to see the Twins and Yankees last night. And for the first time in my life, and I've seen the Twins-Yankees here, I've seen it in New York, I have never seen the Twins beat the Yankees until last night. Possibly my... Oh, they beat them down. They beat them down. It was... They didn't just beat them. They beat them like a rented mule. Oh, so good. I don't even care about baseball or pay attention. But from what I've heard, because, you know, KFAN is right down the hall from me where I work, and I listen to them all the time. I don't even care. But knowing the Twins are actually kind of hot this year. But the Yankees have been their Achilles heel since I've ever heard the name Twins. To know that they put a licking on them last night. That makes me happy, not for me, but for Twins fans, because I have a lot of Twins fans in my yeah. life, and I know and, you were there. Yeah, thanks to Ed Cohen and the people at Smart Start for the Yeah, t- no, that sounds great. Four fantastic. tickets. I guess my phone, i got to check it. It must be broken. Well, you would have been bored to tears. You're just not a baseball fan. I would have been bored to tears during an absolute pummeling of the hated New York Yankees. <laughs> anybody, right. anybody, who, anybody who roots for Goliath over David is a piece of shit, right? I agree. I to agree. Watch, to watch David beat Goliath. Again, it's not going to happen often. And the twins or the Yankees will come back and yeah. serve it back to us. But for that one shining moment, you were there, and I'm glad you enjoyed that. Plus, it was a beautiful night last night, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Perfect weather. Mm, beautiful. All right. Well, I'm glad for that, and I'm thankful for Ed Cohen uh, and everybody there at Smart Start MN. And um, I'm kind of joking because if you had called me, I would have been like, no, nah, dude, I got to be up at five. I know, I know, I know. I know. So I'm just kind of fucking around. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I did want to mention, the reason we started with that intro of Diamond Girl and the song we're about to hear, um, Jim Seals, who was mm. half of the popular early 70s soft rock duo, Uh, Seals and Crofts has died at the age of 79 from a long-standing illness, according to a report from his wife. No further details. You know what? I don't really need them. 79 is a good run, but it starts to make you think, right? Like when stuff was at the the fringe of your youthful memory that, you know, these people are starting to pass, these people are moving on, you know, you, well, A, you're sad about that. And B, you reminisce about the times, but also you can't help but think about your own mortality, right? And Mm -hmm. what you're doing with the precious remaining moments you have left. And it's been a thing to me. Plus, I was never mad at soft rock when I was a kid, right? Like, I mean, of course, I went through my punk rock phase. I'm like, that shit's garbage. That's what old people listen to. You go back and listen to Seals and Croft's first three, four, five albums. It's quintessential, quintessential early 70s soft rock out of America. And it's good. If you can get past the the old stodginess part of it, it's really, really good. They put out some incredible music. And Diamond Girl was one of their really first big, big sort of efforts that they put forward. And it came off that record, Diamond Girl. Um, I'm just going to try to, I'm just going to try to not imagine you with feathered hair a long comb in your back pocket and ball hugger bell bottoms. Too early in 1973 when that song landed, I was a child. I was that's little. true. I mean, so I still my mom gave me this Dorothy Hamill bowl cut. My oh entire God, year. sweet Jesus, send us a picture. Wow, I have one actually, and all oh, people are gonna. Anyway, we'll talk about yeah. that more later. I okay. will send a picture. Um, but prior to that, 
So on the fringe of memory, right, like sitting in the backseat of the car, heading to wherever the family's going, there yeah. are certain songs that become so popular, they're pervasive. And whether you like it or not, they're in your mind. And this one, I don't mind. The problem is I got the lyrics wrong. When I was a kid, because it was just the beginning of the mm -hmm. sugar is bad and watch out for caffeine and that kind of thing. Yeah. Movement, I thought this song was called Sugar Free. And... Oh. I didn't realize that this brilliant, timeless classic that was part of an important part of the Seals and Croft canon, in fact, their first major hit was called Summer Breeze. not mad at that song 
I'm actually deeply in love with the groove and the vibe and the harmonies and the beauty of it. Um, you know, rest in peace to Mr. Seals, gone at the age of 79, mm. which is a good run. Fun fact about Seals and Croft, both were members. So they're both from Texas, right? They yep. were both members of the Champs. You may remember the popular song Tequila. Ultimately oh, yeah. In P they were both Herman. on that track. And as rock and roll started to develop through the 60s, they both decided they didn't like the anger and the tension in the modern world. And a lot of people, you know, found Jesus, found these alternate religions. They both became ardent followers of the Baha'i faith. And one of the reasons I can respect the Baha'i faith, well, a couple of the reasons is there's not really a hierarchy. There's no priest class in that faith. And they believe that all spiritual beings are heading, no matter what they believe, no matter who they are, are all headed in the same direction and that we are all one. And a couple of guys who are willing to leave sort of a fast track to rock and roll fame because they believe in their faith that deeply, but then also turn back around and drop three in a row, top 10 hits on you. I got no disrespect for him. Are Today, you Baha'i? Because uh, I'm Baha'i. <laughs> no, sadly, those days are behind me, Sean. Is that, a, is that a cricket noise? That was a cricket. It sounded like maybe some sort of like, I don't know, um, Razorback that was in trouble and distress somewhere. Speaking of, in the South, uh, there's a guy I know by the name of Charlie Mars. Mississippi guy. Uh, that's where he's based. And over the years, I've watched him and evolved. And, you know, I've never, Sean, as you and I have discussed many times, musicians are cool. They're always interesting, right? They're always yep. fun to talk to. But I've never, like, thought, fantasized in my head, like, oh, we're going to be best buds. We're gonna, I'm going to be on the tour bus. We're going to Barcelona, and we are going to have a party. <laughs> that being said, I've had a couple of good parties with Charlie, but he and I have both mellowed significantly with age. I would like to welcome Charlie Mars to the Brian Oak Show podcast. Charlie, how are you, man? I'm having a day. It's a, a beautiful day here in Mississippi. The birds are out. Uh, yeah, they're chirping. Yeah, they're, you'll be able to hear them the whole interview. And uh, life's good. Well, I mean, so you right now live in Mississippi. And although you're not that far away from what we would call civilization, you've got yourself a nice spread right now, man. And you're living a life that you've kind of crafted for yourself and you enjoy. I mean, you're just far enough out of town to have a spread big enough to not really see your next door neighbors and enjoy your time as you see fit. Right. Yeah. So I, I lived in Oxford, Mississippi, which is a college town where Ole Miss is for the last, Oh, probably 15 years plus. And then, uh, I lived right on the town square. So it was, it was very much, you know, social. And then somewhere in the last five years, I like, I'm kind of, uh, you know, uh, vulnerable to uh, hype-oriented propaganda. And so I started watching all these prepper videos. Where, <laughs> you know, some of them were like guys talking about the economy collapsing and some mm. of them were talking about everyone's going to be uploaded to a computer chip and your brain's going to be part of the <laughs> board like the Matrix. <laughs> and, and so... And so I started freaking out, like, this is going to happen. And then the COVID thing definitely did not de-escalate my level <laughs> of artistic paranoia. And so mm. I started thinking, I'm going to, I need to, I need to have a, a shit hits the fan pad 
and then I need to grow my own food and learn how to like knit, you know, pants and shit. So <laughs> I... knit pants. <laughs> well, let's be honest, even in the apocalypse, pants still have a relatively high level of importance. Yeah, and I needed to get one of those honeybee outfits and like mm-hmm. so that I could, you know, have bees flying around me and blowing smoke on shit. <laughs> and so and so I was my I was my brother who's like my brother is like he's already there. So he didn't really help anything. He was right. just always like, Yeah, you're finally seeing it. <laughs> and so <laughs> but, but let's like, be honest, I mean there's there's a level of of common sense in that, right? Like I mean, our society we built so big and frankly constructed it so fragilely on this house of cards. I mean, there is a possibility it could collapse. So having some level of preparation is fine. But I mean, like, so you're out in the woods, you're on your own stretch of land, you've got a thing going on. But there's a difference between that and having, uh, you know, a, like a, a recyclable filter in your underground bunker with 25 years of canned food, right? I mean, are you somewhere in the middle or are you closer to the prepper end? I think at one point, my level of paranoia was to the degree that could I have afforded an underground bunker with 25 years of food? It's possible that I might have splurged, but (laughs) I see through it mellowed to some degree now that things have opened back up and uh, uh, I kind of came out of that uh, with a little bit like a mellower perspective. But at the time, I purchased uh, 42 acres out in the middle of nowhere that had a uh, like a house, I guess you call it, and <laughs> and I moved in. And so my brother found it on a hunting forum, and then I went and looked at it, and then bought it the next day. And I thought, I'm gonna survive the apocalypse. <laughs> You're gonna make it. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, you know everything started to mellow a little bit and then i realized like wait i'm out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> i'm on like a big farm with a uh uh with like there's bugs everywhere and there's coyotes and deer and foxes and snakes i see all the time which kind of freaks me out but i'm really I'm enjoying it. I like, I've never actually like, I've lived out somewhat, but it was more like bougie country where there was like, you know, some stuff to do. But now I literally live on a dirt county road in the middle of nowhere. So yeah, that's happening. So for people who are in Minnesota, who like when they think of Mississippi, not talking about the cultural stuff, I'm talking about the actual land and the, 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 you know, the flora and the fauna. I mean, so you talk about snakes and snakes freak everybody out, right? I mean, there are very few people other than like Steve Irwin, rest in peace, that are super comfortable grabbing snakes by the testicles. Are there other <laughs> creatures down there that like, that like you know, like, I mean, do you have wild boars? Do you have large predators down there? We have tons of wild boar, but I haven't seen it in my property. Okay. And, uh, that's pretty much, you know, dogs, but that's per- it's the snakes the wild dogs and the wild boars you got to watch out for. whoa 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 back it up one step there so like packs of wild dogs roam the thick forests of the south oh, yeah and the, they look they can look just like like a little domesticated you know normal house dog so you can't really you can they they're, they're you can't they don't have us they're just wild dogs right. but they'll they'll eat you 
you know, they run in packs, right? And yeah. I mean, basically, if anything gets hungry enough, including house spiders, they will eat you. It's the Brian Oak <laughs> Show, episode 252. Um, we are talking to Charlie Mars, who I find endlessly charming. I wish this was a six-hour episode, but we will have you back again um, because there are literally 80 questions I have for you. But before we get to another one, I don't like to go too long without... Um, talking a little bit about music now you've been a musician for a long time and on the other side of this song i want to talk a little bit about your path through the music industry but for where you are right now so here you are you're out on this gorgeous stretch of land you have yourself a home you have yourself a giant wolf size maybe larger dog of your own um and you're enjoying this particular phase of your life but you talked about covid did that lead to writing more music i mean i know you've got music in the can but how has it been for the last couple of years and then tell me about this first song we're going to hear times have changed because i feel like that's appropriate well uh you know i grew up and i wanted i you know was a pop culture kid and wanted to get out of my town in mississippi and see the world and kind of was like into magazines and movies about rock and roll and the radio and buying albums and cds and tapes and you know i really wanted to get out i was kind of uh felt a little i liked it but it was just i thought you know i want to be a citizen of the world uh, and be a rock and roller or whatever and then i have had many uh you know two decades of adventures doing that and then covid sort of happened and for the first time i wasn't touring and i uh you know was taking a much longer look in the mirror than i ever really had because i had been pretty much going non-stop forever and i didn't even realize like uh how off kilter i had gotten because of that and how i had used that uh as a way of just kind of like escaping a lot of life's like uh just normal life responsibilities and challenges and and so i think once the cut that that period hit and i slowed down and i kind of thawed out from the sort of non-stop adrenaline adventure that i had been on <laughs> it was a quite a crash but then after a period uh i felt like i had come home and there were a lot of things about the area that i lived in that i wanted to see the world but that there was a world right under my nose and uh i also felt like i had abandoned some of the uh values and traditions that maybe maybe my grandparents held and that had caused me pain because i wanted to experience all these worldly pleasures but not necessarily take care of my soul and so all this sort of came together at once and i just kind of started slowly inching my way into sort of a different mindset and being more involved in community and the people around me and really kind of looking at, at what i what i where what i had turned my back on and what i should maybe uh uh turn my back towards i mean turn my 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 heart towards um with just a a new perspective and there's some things about being a world traveler and a kind of a cosmopolitan guy that i bring with me and they're good and then there's some things that i don't necessarily think were so good and i think that all that plays into this first song which is called times have changed there's also the world premiere 
What? It's never been heard before. Uh, well, but it's about to be right now. Charlie, I love you, man. Here's a brand new song called Times of Change by Charlie Mars. There's no soda fountain counter, no five and dime. Nobody's taking cash, you need a credit line. And it's getting crowded, man on the TV says it's a getting warm. Ain't no kids in the front yard, no football in the street. No lemonade stand, no tree highs in the trees, and it's getting crowded. And it's getting warm. What happened to us, Yes, ma'am, looking folks in the eye. To family and the good Lord, and thanking Him every night. Oh, familiar with the name Charlie Mars, it won't come as a surprise that he's a really good songwriter. Sophisticated structure, beautiful emotion, and a genuineness that, you know, I mean, you can't hide real, right? But for people who haven't heard your name before or your output before, they might be like, 
well, fuck, that was great. How come I don't hear that shit on the radio? Yeah. Which I'd like to back up is an excellent, excellent question. Charlie Mars has been doing this, this at a high level for a long time. And I know a lot of people do know his name, but every time you say the name Sean Bernard, Brian Oak, Charlie Mars, whoever, no matter what you do, any walk of life, there are going to be people who have not heard your name before. And Charlie, you have a really interesting story, right? Like a few independent releases. And then you got in the early 2000s, uh, that you attracted the attention of the major labels, which is the dream of every artist, right? Yeah. And it, unfortunately, you got there about the same time that a great number of people realizing, ah, times are changing. And I mean, it's nice to have the resources. It's nice to have the people. It's nice to be whisked around and have caviar fed to you by alien beings or whatever sort of benefits come with being on a major label but it's it's also not all it's cracked up to, it cracked up to be because you went back to the lifestyle of being an independent artist not long after as many many people followed that path in the early 2000s but those heady days when v2 first first reaches out to you are you like this is it i'm on my way i'm frank sinatra i was in rehab six months before i got the record deal so oh. imagine you're strung out on prescription pills and booze oh. in a rehab, and then six months later, you're in Jimmy Iovine's office getting a record deal. Wow! So, yeah. I, I see now. All I could do is literally imagine that because the actual emotions that must be happening with what you've done in the last six months. Wow! I mean, so what was it like? I was still in shell. I was in shock the whole time because like, I I literally got out of rehab had these songs, got some money together, met this producer named Rick Viato. We recorded the songs. While we were recording them, he started sending them to this A&R guy in LA. The guy liked them. We were on a plane to LA to meet Jimmy Iovine uh, before the thing was even done. Wow. And then, then I, because back then, especially like if one big guy wanted to take a meeting with you, then all of a sudden everybody did. Yeah. yeah. And so I met Tommy. I was in an office the next day with Tommy Matola. Wow. I was in the next day an office <laughs> at uh, DreamWorks with, uh, I can't remember what that guy's name was. Like, I all of a sudden was, I went from like a rehab bed to the top <laughs> of the music business. And for seven years, I had been touring and trying to make it in music. And I right. thought, I thought it was probably done, you know? Okay but I was just going to make this record and see what happened. And so uh, that was very, uh, I was just kind of faking it till you make it at that point. Cause my whole like inner, I mean, I was kind of whacked out from just recovering from what I had been through. I got a motorcycle wreck, got hooked on these pills and then it all just kind of went haywire. But right. uh, uh it was amazing because I got to stay at like the Chateau Marmont that the record label was paying for. And well, Lati fucking da for you, Mr. Marmont. <laughs> I was eating like dinners with label executives at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And then next week I was in New York staying, <laughs> staying in fancy. I mean, it was just crazy, you know, to go from like such a low point to I literally couldn't believe it was all happening. And, um, yeah, what can I say? And it, it was a great label. They went out of business. That's how I w was uh, no longer on that label. But 
they were supportive. They, uh, they were a lot of, there's a lot of people that, you know, one of the things that happened is they spent a lot of money on promoting my single at radio. And so whenever I, the label went out of business and I was back on my own, I had all these relationships with people that I would have never had had they not spent all that money. Right. And so a lot of people say, well, you know, how as an indie artist can I, you know, get into this thing? And it's like, well, I don't know if you can, because I wouldn't have been able to fly all over the country. And I mean, look, it's a people business. If you connect with somebody and you like them and it's, you have a good time, like, you can call them up, you know, but if you never, and then the, the way it works, it's like, they got a stack of CDs of, of, of motherfuckers they've never heard of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a stack of CDs of that guy that came in last year. Oh yeah. I remember this dude. We had fun to be mm-hmm. the dude that, that they remember. Cause you had fun. That costs like a million dollars. So well, <laughs> it didn't in our case, cause I remember you as the dude I have fun with. I don't remember where it started exactly, but I mean, like, but again, to get those names in the door, because you're exactly right. When the major labels were still calling the shots, even in the early 2000s, when the internet really started to make real inroads, it was still, there was still a lot of that old school label heft and swagger and gravitas, right? Like you could come in and be like, no, no, this is our guy. And so, I mean, you described it perfectly right there. Every program director, I've been doing radio for 30 years, you know, but every program director's office you walked into, there are a, like four or five stacks of a dozen records or were back in the day. Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, I got to get to these. They're never going to fucking get no. to those until someone comes in and says, hey, we're going to give you a flyaway to go see Charlie Mars and fucking Ibiza. Um, like, oh, let's give it a little listen. See, let's see what we got here. Yeah. There is a lot. There is a lot of graft to that kind of thing going on. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, the record didn't do that well, but I, I, I got, you know, I got to tour with R.E.M. on their last North American tour. I was the opening act. My they God. Were, they were my favorite band in high school. So wow. I, sat, I was singing on stage with R.E.M. every night. Wow. And I got to go to Europe and tour mm. with uh, K.T. Tunstall when Black Horse and the Cherry yeah. Tree broke. Yeah, I remember. We started out doing a hundred people clubs. Then she did a late night TV show. And then that show, that show, I, I, we, we actually canceled the show. So I was sitting in a hotel in London watching her. We went from doing a hundred people a night to thousands of people a night by the end of the tour. So I actually watched somebody break and explode right before my eyes. And I got to tour in Sweden and Denmark and just, I did a lot of cool stuff. And um, it wasn't that financially successful of a time for them. It was good for me. (laughs) High adventure, right? I mean, you're traveling the world. You're watching things. Again, let's remember, like, whether it was a few months before or a few years before, I mean, you'd sort of hit rock bottom, right? Yeah, I was totally, I thought I was, I was fucked. But now, but then here we are, we're again, but again, that major label dream now sometimes your A&R person gets fired or gets moved along, right? And then suddenly there's no one there in-house who's really your advocate anymore. Or other times, a whole ass label folds. But around that time, I mean, your story, not to take anything away from your trauma and your adventure and your travels, but it was pretty common that many, many, many people from the very late 90s through, I don't know, 2005, six, seven, eight, the major labels sort of lost uh, most of their gravitas, not all, but a lot of, and people decided to go their own way. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't decide to go my own way, but no. uh, at the end of that, I thought I was, you know, I thought I was kind of fucked again. But uh, uh, that was an incredibly adventurous time. I traveled a lot. I went to Africa. I, I just did a, a lot of wild. It was a wild time. I met a lot of people and met some of my heroes and got to know a lot of people at radio. And, and then... Um, when the label folded, uh, I had this big time manager and he, he stopped answering my phone calls. Oof. And really? Like, just like didn't pick up, never called back. He, he called back a few times. But it was more like blow, blow you off. Kind of. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It was like, Charlie, dude, baby, how yeah, are yeah. you? Hey man. Yeah. And he was, I, you know, and I'm very like family oriented guy. Like mm -hmm. once we're working together, it's, it's all personal to me. I'm not very good with the business. I, it's like, right. we're in this together. It's the three musketeers, you know, and your family and I'm family, but that's not the music business. And so, mm. uh, you know, I was just kind of a naive guy from the sticks in some ways and just very excited to be a part of everything. And, um, and then I was back on my own again, and it was basically the same thing. Like I had a little money. I pulled a, a record together called Like a Bird, Like a Plane. It had a song on it called Listen to the Dark Side, mm. uh, which was about smoking weed with your friends and listening to Pink Floyd. <laughs> and um, unlike the game, I didn't really have a game changer on the major label release. That song, uh, it took a lot of work, but it ended up being a game changer. What's allowed you to keep perspective through all this, Charlie? Because, I mean, you hit this low spot, then you're given all these incredible gifts. I mean, did you, at one point, did you have some kind of imposter syndrome? At other points, were you, you I think know. On a major label, I kind of had imposter syndrome. Because yeah. I was, I was like, I was sober. I, I haven't had a yeah. drink in 20 plus years. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Um, I was like in shell shock and yet yeah. all the stuff was going on and I just had to pretend that I knew what was going on. Yep. <laughs> yep. Which I'm, which I'm no stranger to. So uh, <laughs> uh, a little too close to home, Charlie. All right. Yeah. And it wasn't until I uh, like a bird, like a plane and really having to dig deep and, and carve out a career after you know, like my mom says, once you get a raise, it's hard to go back to minimum wage. It is, yeah. And the raise was the major label. And so there I was back at minimum mm. wage. And it was just like, do you love this? Do you, can you, can you, yeah. you know, there's there, uh, anything you know about, like Mississippians, you tell them they can't do something, that's going to make them twice. <laughs> We're a rebellious yep. group of people. Yep. Yeah. So it just, sort of steeled my determination to sort of do it and you know and, and keep keep and find a way to be successful and not take no for an answer and um i did i did do that and, and i ended up meeting a label group called 30 tigers which at the time no one had heard of they only mm. had one guy and was, oh that's not good Hold on. that's all right i love uh, it that's one of my favorite jams is that on your new record no, and so uh, <laughs> I, the song no. ended up going to like number two or one on Sirius Spectrum, and wow, played all over the country, and in some markets like Austin, Texas, it really broke me, and I went from doing to like zero people there to like at times, you know, a thousand. So 
it was uh, it was an incredible time. What I know is you went through this sort of personal reinvention, as we all must do on occasion, because that thing about going from the prime time to the you know, minimum wage that describes a lot of my last few years. So I can relate relate very seriously. Um, you just you got to keep going. I mean, there's no other option but to keep going, right? And so when you talk about making inroads in Austin, Minnesota is another market that you made inroads to, right? Like you said, all right, I'm not going to tour the entire country, but I'm going to devote myself to these various places right here. Minnesota was one of those places you've done that. And I know you hope to do it again. We'll talk more about that, but it's time for another song. Because again, I hate going on too long without well, hearing here. music. Again, so wait, I mean, are we world premiering all these songs? Yes. What? I don't, know what, man, done, I don't know what I've done to deserve your kindness, but nothing. I'm, um, I, done I'm, nothing. you've done nothing and like it's falling. Oh, <laughs> oh, whoa. Anyway, world premiere of a brand new song called Minnesota. Now I know that you have connections here. I know that, you know, people here. I happen to be one of them. You know, I noticed that the Mississippi river started in Minnesota and I just thought it was fortuitous that I kind of came to the source uh, to have kind of a new a new beginning somewhere. So this is just kind of my little homage to Minnesota. I wanna wake up with the sun and that cold wind on my 
have one very basic question to ask right here. It's the Brian Oak Show, so 252, et cetera, et cetera. How is that not a fucking smash? In oh, I know. Right now? Yeah. So, Charlie, and again, I know that you know the intricacies and vagaries and bizarre minutiae and evil manipulations of the music industry better than Sean or I do. You write songs that are well above average professional expectations and not even being part of the Nashville machine. But I mean, if you're not part of the machine, like that song right here, Minnesotans are so provincial. If someone yep. wants to sing about us, we're like, fuck, he's singing about us. That's us. That's me. That's us. <laughs> but it's also a super great song. Like I know you're yep. a guitar player. I know you're a singer. Have you surrounded yourself with this incredible retinue of people? Like, um, I mean, like the fiddle playing was fantastic. The singing was fantastic. You have good people in your life, I'm assuming. Do and I, I, to answer your question, I don't really give a damn. I make good music. Yeah. I make good, I make good money. If if I can take care of my own life and enjoy myself, yeah. I don't really care about how all this goes. Great so perspective. Good, yeah. good things happen, which they always seem to mm. if I work hard enough. Great. Mm. It, don't, it doesn't have to be the mountaintop. I'm cool That's with awesome. like I'm cool with like just positive things happening. Mm. I'm and, looking at you right now on Zoom. There are gorgeous trees behind you. That bird will not stop singing, and I hope it never stops singing for you. I know that you're at peace. I know that you're at ease. You and I had a long phone conversation the other night, and that is. I think no matter what someone does for a living, right? Like you can, if the mountaintop is your only dream, you're never going to be happy because the yep. mountaintop, mountaintop's still not going to be high enough, right? Mm. But if you can find your peace in the process and where you are now, and no matter what step you're at, if you can find some peace, I mean, that's, that's the answer, right? Yeah. And the other answer is I don't, I'm not contractually bound to anyone for anything. Mm. I own everything. That's I do whatever I want. I make my own mistakes. I have my <laughs> own successes. And we all know that the music business is controlled by corporations. Yeah. And corporations mm -hmm. deal in mediocrity. And so if you want to uh, mainline mediocrity, then just plug yourself into anything <laughs> corporate. And, and, <laughs> and so uh, it doesn't mean that within that system you can't find your own expression or joys or whatever, yeah. but I can't. And so I love the fact that if I want to write a country song and put it out, I don't, I'll do it. If I want to write a rock song and put it out, I'll do mm -hmm. it. I don't care. And uh, that's a lot of fun. I've known you for a long time, man, and I know that you're capable in all those genres and in any realm you feel like tackling, but what I like more than any of it, I know that sobriety has been a big part of your journey, but I know now living out in the woods. I all kinds of other shit too, like just because yeah. I keep drinking. Of course, of course. No, no, that's fine. I get it. I'm but not I, but I, or anything, but. But, I, yeah. but your journey continues and con continues to be impressive, I guess, is my guess. But finding joy, and there's something too about getting older where you're like, oh shit, I'm getting older, but also you sort of settle into who you are and what you're about and mm -hmm. what matters. And we're going to talk more to Charlie Mars in a second. Charlie, I get one more sponsor in real quick oh, yeah. here. And that would be this other guy on the podcast. Mexico. His name is Sean Bernard, who is 
neck deep, dare I say eyebrow deep in realty these days, um, because it is a hectic market and things are dynamic and changing, but it's still possible, feasible to sell your home, buy a home. It just takes a little planning and a little, um, well, from what I understand, Sean, elbow grease. How are you doing these days? I'm doing well, man. I, you know, I've loved having Charlie on today because he just seems like he's really true to himself. And I've had so many people ask me, like, why did you get into real estate? It just seems so stressful, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like something you would do. And I said, well, I like to help people, and I found a way to give back. And I, you know, I've been sober for eight and a half years, and I kind of figured out with my life that I've never. It sounds depressing in some ways, but I figured <laughs> I'm never going to do anything major in my life but what matters to me are three things giving back having fantastic relationships and having great experiences to look forward to so that's what my life is about at this point and so with real estate i can give back in different ways yes i've helped some clients do projects lately not my first choice but sometimes we have people that let other people down i gotta step in and and roll up my sleeves and do a little painting or cement work or fixing awnings or decks or things like that. And I do that stuff to help people out because it's the right thing to do. And I'm going to continue to do what I have been doing throughout the pandemic, and I'm just going to keep it going. I'm going to keep donating a portion of every buy and sell to a local artist or musician. And the gratitude that I get from those musicians when I'll I tell them that my, uh, PayPal. Uh, yeah, please do. I just had another artist, uh, Lydia Liza, just sent me her Venmo the other day. She goes, "Keep me on the list." <laughs> but Charlie, honestly, like it's not a ton of money, but it's it's just I think the people appreciate the thought, and music has changed my life. Um, it has absolutely given me peace and serenity at times where I thought the world was falling apart. Um, I can put on music, and it. It is my religion in many ways, so it's just been so fantastic. But if you know of somebody who's looking to buy or sell, 612-859-2594, that number is also textable. If I become a semi-pro axe thrower, yes. would I qualify as a local artist? I think so. Thank you. That's all I wanted to know. Uh, Charlie, I have a couple more questions for you. And sadly, time runs short because life is busy. Um, and I can't wait until you make it back up here. But I want to admit something that I'm embarrassed by. Um, you and I have seen each other enough, shared enough conversations, enough good times, enough of life, right? To realize that, you know, what I like like a lot of things about you but one of my favorite things is you're one of these crazy charming dudes so i could literally just sit there with my chin on my hands and listen to for hours but a lot of those people who realize that they've got the room that they are able to tell a story that they are able to engage people they fall in love with it they get drunk on it they be begin to drink their own kool-aid <laughs> every single time i have a conversation with you i know that you listen as as heavily as you talk, right? Like you have mm. things to say, you've got good perspective, but it's never just waiting until it's your next turn to talk. And it's, it's one of the reasons that I enjoy our interaction so much. And I really enjoy it, which is why it makes it all the more painful for me to say the next thing I'm gonna say. We've known each other a long time. I can't remember the very first time we met. Do you? I think and if was, you don't, I, I, I'm in the same boat. I know we've known each other a long time. Christian Prettyman's holiday show for the City's 97. Was that it? 
Yeah, I met you the night after I played at the openers for Citizen Cope. And then you said, why don't you come on the air in the morning? And then I did come on Oak and Carry, And because the interview was so funny, they <laughs> replayed it on Cities 97 several times. And I, even though Cities never played any of my music. Oh, my God. Sons I, of bitches. I started selling out shows in in Minneapolis because of that. Wow. Because That's of your cool. charm and personality. Now, so here's the deal. I remember that first day. And Carrie and I were, were dizzied trying to keep up with you. And I do remember afterwards the incessant stream of phone calls, emails, everything that came through. Like, who the fuck was that guy? I'm like, Charlie Mars. And you're right. Cities, those corporate vipers, they never played any music. <laughs> here's but, my, here's I mean, the thing. Don't give me a foot in the door. That's what I'm saying. Because I'll fucking get in it. <laughs> or you, you give you a foot in the door. Yep, you'll you, wedge your way in. That's you right. know we're working on that again. Speaking of, <laughs> you're kind of like, I know that you're enjoying the rural life and the not simple life, but the quiet, the 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 thoughtful and contemplative life in uh in Mississippi right now with all those birds and your dog and your life and your thoughts and your <laughs> expanding level of wisdom. But you're also still very, very much a musician as has been evidenced by the two world premieres we've had so far of Times Have Changed and a brilliant song called Minnesota. In the meantime, if people are like, well, where the fuck has Charlie Mars been? When do I get to see him again? When, and maybe even more importantly, since touring is a different animal entirely, getting music out there is not that hard. I know because we had a conversation the other night that you've got a shit ton of tattoons in the tank right now. When when are people going to get a look at that or even a little bit of a taste on that? Uh, Times of Change is going to be my first single. Off, it's the title track to the album. It's going to come out as a single in late summer. Okay. And then uh, eventually I'll put out the full length and events at some point I'll come play in Minnesota. And, uh, you know, I don't really have some master plan like I don't really know. Who, who knows? Whatever. Well, and I'm not even worried for me. And I'm not looking for like the Hey, when are we launching the tour? When are the T-shirts coming out? But it's, yeah. I mean, when people hear this, they're going to want to be like, well, I know I have a lot of old Charlie Mars stuff I can get my hands on, but the new stuff sounds pretty fucking good. Where do I get my hands on that? So that won't be coming out till a little you later. Have to listen to the Brian Oak podcast again. Yeah. Okay. Oh, son of a bitch. Keep listening back and back. Yeah. Look at that. We are going to get so many downloads, Sean. It's going to be amazing. Um, but if people wanted to bring themselves up to speed or just stay on top of your thoughts, your feelings. Do you do a lot of social media? Do you have a ground zero website? Where do people find Charlie Mars? I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook and I'm starting a YouTube channel. Uh, and I've shot my first video for that. And I'll, I'm kind of getting all the camera and the computers and the studios mm. and all that set up. And so uh, right now I would say, just follow me on Instagram and then you'll see like, I have a mailing list on my website. You can, I'm slowly going to start touring again. I may never tour as extensively as I used to. I'll probably mm -hmm. just do, you know, unless, you know, who knows, but, but I'm going to tour and I'm going to operate more, uh, you know, cause I have 10 albums. I own all my material. I make a decent royalty off of it. Mm. It's, the things are pretty chill. So, and I, I've enjoyed like my sanity, having my sanity back, and I don't mm. want to like get all looped out again. Mm -mm. So, I'm probably just gonna uh, tour some, and you know, make content at my own pace, and uh, and just see what happens. 
Well, the other day you shared something on Facebook, like you wrote, and I genuinely believe you because I know you, you're like, you know, you're talking about how you're available for backyard stuff, private stuff. And you said, you know, these kinds of intimate performances are pretty much your favorite way to express yourself. And I, so then I went on to share it and say that I don't know anybody who has probably a similar level of talent and charm at the same time. Like, I mean, that's the kind of thing. So people find you on social media and let's say there's some crazy independent, wealthy person that lives on Lake of the Isles up here in Minnesota. They're like, anywhere, not just Minnesota, anywhere. But if they want to fly you up here and have a backyard party for their closest 40 friends, 20 friends, maybe just the two of them to make it extra uncomfortable and weird, you're you're, you're available is what you're telling me. I do it all the time. <laughs> ah, good for you, I've man. I've a hundred private shows during COVID. A hundred? Wow. A hundred. Were, how many of them got weird and uncomfortable at the end after the music wrapped up and they're like, well, you can spend the night if you want to, Charlie. I uh, usually I, ha I have a way of like kind of getting on out of there, but I did <laughs> in Texas. I stayed in a in a couple's RV after we <laughs> we rode around on their 15,000 acre ranch and got wild boar with AR-15s. What? Oh, my goodness. So it's, I mean, some of the shows are like Birkenstock wearing like East Coast, you know, yeah. like, and some of them are like, like American flag, you know, four wheelers. And yeah, yeah. I just kind of roll with it all. I mean, I have my limits. I don't like, you know, things <laughs> get too weird, but I, I kind of enjoyed all of it. You know what, Charlie? Uh, we have to say goodbye now, but I want to let <laughs> you know in, in all sincerity, uh, I, A, I appreciate you coming on the podcast and B, you're one of my favorite people I've ever met in a professional capacity. I feel like it's gone beyond that. And um, I'm just glad to see you in a good spot, man. And I'm glad you're happy. And I, the new music sounds fucking fantastic. So mm -hmm. good for you. Well, good. Okay. Well, look at that. I got, the, I, got, I got the Charlie Marr stamp of approval right there. Nice. Before we go, uh, we got to thank Audio Equip. They're the ones who provide us, even when, especially when we're not doing Zoom podcasts, with all of our necessary equipment in the Smart Start MN studios. Thanks to Smart Start, all of our Patreon members, everybody who's ever listened, shared, amplified the podcast in any way whatsoever. Again, like Charlie Mars, we're not trying to get the mountaintop. We just like doing this. And if we can keep doing it at a basic, decent human level, that sounds pretty good to us. Um, Charlie, so the new record is going to be called Times Have Changed. You talked about that single coming out towards the end of summer. Any idea when the whole album is going to drop? In the fall sometime. All right. But the way, the way uh, you'll be able to buy it uh, as a hard copy, but streaming the way it goes now, it's, it's more... Uh, advantageous to release singles because right. you can only pitch one song per project to Spotify. Right. And so I'll probably release three singles and then you'll, you'll be able to purchase vinyl and CDs uh, if you're really itching to get a physical copy, but uh, the streaming, I don't know, sometime in the fall. Okay. Man, you, you sound so chilled out and Mississippi Thursday afternoon right now. I'm jealous because I got to go to work, uh, unfortunately, which means we have to cut this short. So you've already been generous enough to give us two world premieres of Charlie Mars music. Is this last song, A, a world premiere, and B, a direct shot at both Sean and myself? It is A, a world premiere, and B, it is called Fat Dad. Oof. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, wow. that's real triggering. We live in an era of triggers. All right. It's about it's about being the boss. Like it's it, oh. in the south where I live, 
like if you look at the construction crew and you want to know who the boss is, it's the guy with the pot belly. The fat dad. That's right. And no. so, <laughs> you know, if you're uh, uh, Latino, you would be like El Jefe. You're yep. like the kingmaker. And, El and, Guapo. El Guapo. And like where I live in the South, it means that like, uh, so I wrote this song about a guy I saw. He was like really portly. He had on a fishing shirt. <laughs> he had he had a hot wife who was like a, looked like she was a yoga instructor. <laughs> yes. He had two daughters at the back who were looking at their iPhones the whole time. Oh my god! The dream, the dream. You mean? And he was rolling around in his Range Rover, and he like saw me, and he had his window down, and he just made like a like a he pointed at me and little went pistol, like, finger like, guns. We call yeah, that the we, finger gun. He was just like, "What's up?" And I laughed at him, and then I thought, I'm going to write a song about that type of guy when I get home. And so this is it. It's called Fat Dad. I like to roll with my fat dad. He's got a fat pad with my family down to 38. Daddy used to hang down in Destin, but now we're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling, but we ain't no pushover. Fat Daddy's got that banging Range Rover, oh yeah. Everybody down here loves my fat dad. But when we roll, we be banging little loser. We be headed to town down in the SEC. Daddy bought a box of mom and have a bathroom and I'd have a color TV Cause we're rolling Yeah, we're rolling But we ain't no pushover Fat Daddy's got that banging Range Rover, oh yeah Everybody down here loves my fat dad Got a fat pad, roll with my family down to 38. Daddy used to hang down in Destin, but now we're rolling. Yeah, we're rolling.